Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Tabernacle Young Adult Podcast. We are so glad to have you. My name is Aaron Hussey. And I'm Camera Hussey. And we're the leaders of the CTYA. We want this podcast to be a resource for you, a blessing to you, and a point of growth in your walk with God. We pray that whenever and wherever you're listening, that each episode will speak directly to you. Thank you for listening. God bless. Amen. I'm, I'm thankful when we have good worship. Amen. Amen. And we can surrender to the Lord and just give honor to him. Amen. Amen. So we've been in this worldview series for a couple weeks now, and I've loved being a part of it. I love being on the team with brother and sister Hussey, their leadership, the other teachers, and it's always just wonderful to be down here and be connected to everybody and just talk through some of these, these issues and give honor to all the leadership that we have here and just all of you being here in general. Just to give a little reminder that as we're looking through these topics, the very first issue, what do we say about God, dictates everything else. So we've been walking through, we've been doing this for a couple months, and we've talked about all these issues that we've talked about philosophy, we've talked about biology, we've talked about all these different things. And what you say about God is going to dictate the next steps in the ladder, so to speak, right? Because whatever you say about God is going to determine what you say about you, what you say about the meaning of life, what you say about how we should live, what, what you say about where we're going. So that's just a very important thing to remember as we're walking through this. What we say about God is going to dictate the rest of our beliefs. Now, I know this is a passage that we hear so much, probably just by saying Romans 12, you could quote it in your mind. But as I was going through this, I just thought, you know, these are good verses for what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to read it now and we'll come back to it a little bit later. But verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. That means your life is worship. Your submission and your obedience to the Lord is living out a sacrifice. You are living worship, right? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's your job, right? It's what you were made for was to worship. That's your job as a human. And be not conformed to this world. That's almost what, pretty much, Brother Hussey, that's what we're doing every single time when we're talking about this worldview series is we're trying to learn so we are not conformed to the world, but we know what the Word of God says so we can be conformed, as it would continue to say, to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Our thinking has to change. And there's only a certain way that our thinking can be adjusted and we'll talk about that in a little bit, that ye may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. So to begin, before I tell you what we're going to be discussing today, I just had a a couple thoughts in my mind as I was working through this, just kind of as a little introduction. There was this experiment that was done in uh, the 60s called the Milgram Experiment. Has anybody ever heard of the Milgram Experiment? So very famous case study, and I'll let you look up the finer details. I'm just kind of using this as a segue. Basically, what was going on in the world right now was the Nuremberg trials, which they were putting on trial the different Nazis for the involvement in the Holocaust, and this guy named Adolf Eichmann, who was heavily involved in the Holocaust, was caught in South America and then brought back to Jerusalem, and then he was 
tried and then hung. So these trials were going on, and they were asking these questions about the willingness of the soldiers at the camps to do the terrible things that they did. So this particular scholar from Yale University had this idea. So he put this whole plan together. They had this room, and they had everybody knew what was going on except for one person. They did this multiple times, so they would bring in these individuals to kind of work through this experiment. So they had one person over here, and everybody else knew what was going on. The person that had no clue, they were given almost like a buzzer. And again, I'll let you look up the finer details of it. But in essence, the experimenter said, okay, this is what's going to happen. You're going to sit in this chair. I'm going to give a quiz to this other individual. And you notice there are some wires attached to them. And if they get a question wrong, you have to hit that button and it will send a shock to that individual. And they were actually in kind of a separate room, so they couldn't see each other, but the button pusher and then the recipient of the shock. And so they said, okay, here's the deal though, after every single time they get a question wrong, the voltage will be increased. So I'm just trying to give you the highlights here. So in essence, what would happen is the person would intentionally get the question wrong, and the expert said, okay, you have to shock them now. So they would do a little push of the button, and it was just a little shock, and they were like, ow, and that was it. And they could hear each other, but they couldn't see each other. So in short, it progressed so much to where the person that was faking getting shocked was screaming. And you got to think about how mentally stressful this would be because the person pushing the button has no idea that there's actually no shock going through until eventually the voltage gets so high that it's like fatal like you will kill them if you push this button and they're like well no we don't want to push the button and they had a script for every single time there was resistance the experimenter would say no you have to do this and they had several things that they would say every single time and then eventually they would push the button and then there would just be silence so the person literally thought they just killed the other person. And then they would actually like bring an ambulance in, like all this kind of stuff. And this was in the 60s, guys. So lots of crazy things happened in the 60s. Apparently I wasn't there. But this happened multiple times. But the issue was is that after the researcher had compiled all this information and done this study multiple times, he figured out that most of the time people would go all the way to the fatal level. Because the researcher would say, okay, I will take responsibility if you do this and something hurts them, it'll be on me. So the people were willing to keep pushing the button to kill someone because they apparently thought they would not get in trouble for it. So there's more to the study. Again, I'll let you do that. Another study was the Stanford Prison Experiment. That one might be a little bit more famous. This one was done shortly after in the early 70s. And this was something where the researcher collected a bunch of volunteers and they assigned positions to you're going to be a prisoner, you're going to be a guard, and they were trying to study what's the mental impact of being in a prison. And it was supposed to last for two weeks, and the volunteers were going to get paid like over $1,000 to help in this project. So it was good money just for college students. One guy said, I thought I was just going to be able to go and sit in this cell and just study. So that's what I thought I was getting myself into. But basically, there were no parameters on the guards. They said, you're not allowed to physically harm them, but if they're rebelling, which the prisoners did like the first night, it's just kind of funny to read about because it's like a volunteer thing. We're a riot anyways. But so anyway, so the guards were like having to do things to calm everybody down. It got so abusive and there were some physical things, but it, it was mainly mental that somebody came in to just kind of see how things were going and it was supposed to last for two weeks. They shut it down after six days. They didn't even get through the first week. So these two experiments usually are studied in the realm, does anybody want to take a guess, of what study? Psychology. So that's what we're going to study today. That's what we're going to talk about today is psychology. 
Now, I was at Minnesota State right after I graduated from IBC. I went back to Minnesota, and history was my major, but I was a psych minor. So that doesn't really mean anything, but I had some fun classes. But here's the deal with these experiments in psychology. Psychology is seeking to understand human behavior, right? Psychology is trying to look at, okay, what's wrong with us and how do we fix it? Psychology is trying to look at why we do the things that we do. So let's walk through just a little bit of a groundwork as far as what is psychology. And then ultimately our job tonight is to look at what is the biblical view of psychology or how can a Christian approach psychology. So the word literally means the study of the soul. But we're going to see why that's changed a little bit now. But as far as the definition of psychology would go, it's a scientific study of behavior and mental processes. In other words, what's wrong with this and how do we fix it? Now, there's different sections of psychology. There's the internal motives. There's actually looking at the behavior that is produced. I took a class just on memory, right? They're studying the brain, looking at how the brain works, mental function. There's an evolutionary aspect where they would look at things from development. How did we progress as humans? Uh, even the social impact. You could look at psychology from that angle. So that's just a few. There are so many elements of this. And the process of psychology, the first step would be describe what's going on. So if you're studying something or a person or a group, you got to look at what's going on and be able to describe it. Then you want to be able to explain why are they doing it. And I'm just trying to give us a little bit of groundwork when we say psychology, what does that mean? Okay, so that's all I'm doing here. So describe what they're doing, try to explain why they're doing it, and then try to make some predictions. So when is something going to occur? Or if they do this, does it follow your theory, what happens next? And then is there something that needs to change? How do we change it? So those are just a few steps. Can you put up the image there that I told you about? This, uh, oh, yeah. If I know who this guy is, that's my grandpa. No. Who is it? Sigmund Freud, yeah. This is not a good guy. So you know how you always want to know who the good guys and the bad guys are? This is not a good guy, Brother Landry. Not a good guy, okay? So he died a long time ago in 1939, okay? Now, he is a, or was, a trailblazer in the field of psychology. Now, he thought, and this is kind of really moved into our kind of public arena of ideas, he had this concept that the idea of God was invented way back in our early days of evolutionary progression, you know, when we were like cavemen kind of thing. Eventually, humans created the idea of God because we needed someone to direct us and tell us what to do. We needed somebody that could set moral lines, that could tell us how to live. So Freud, he thought, well, that's just the invention of God. But he said, we don't need God anymore because we have science and reason, okay? So he said, we have science and reason. So this is a key issue. Remember what I said, whatever you believe about God will dictate your next step. This guy doesn't believe in God. And that's where when we say secularism, that means like non-religious, the secular worldview denies God. So their next step is going to be a lot different than the step you and I would take. So let me try to illustrate. This is what Freud tried to say. So I thought I'd try to make this as realistic as I can. Cameron, I want you to stand up for me. Wave at everyone. This is Cameron. So Mr. Freud had this idea that we are made up of three parts. And there's going to be no quiz, but this is important for what I'm trying to build. All right, so there's three parts to all of us, okay? And Cameron 
is going to represent what Mr. Freud called the super ego. Okay, the super ego. Now, what it means, that is like, it's not ego is in your pride. So don't, don't get it mixed up. Super ego means you are like the very moral side, okay? So like you're strict, you're super religious, and you know, all those kind of things. That's the way you lean, right? So I thought we'd make it religious. So Jayla, why don't you stand up? Jayla is gonna be the id. And this is the one that's crazy. This is the one that is just way far out there following every urge and just running around being a party animal, okay? And then Joel, why don't you stand up? So now Joel, he's in the middle. He's just the regular ego. You don't have a super ego. You just have a regular ego, okay? And the super ego is the balance, Because Mr. Freud said, well, it's probably not good to be super crazy party animal. But then, oh, dear God, all that religious stuff, that's too hardcore. Like, we need the middle ground. Well, how do we find the middle ground? Reason and science. All right, thank you. You can sit down. So the middle is trying to find that balance between, well, we don't want to go way far over here, but we don't want to go way far over there, okay? And just as a side note, okay, if you look into some of the things that Freud loved, I mean, this guy was a nutcase sinfully, okay? So we're going to get to this point in a moment, but if you don't believe in God and you want to find justification for things that you want to do, make up a really nice theory, So the moral compass, that superego, we got to find a way to neutralize that. So that's where science and reason comes in. So the idea is, even today, how many of you have heard this kind of thing? Science can just solve all our problems. So reason, if we just think rationally and think about reason, like, we'll all be good. We'll all act wonderfully. And through science, we can create a utopia. What does that even mean? What's utopia? It's the perfect world, the perfect society, right? Through science, we can develop this world where we just all live in harmony and we're all just singing Christmas songs every day. So here's the deal, though. Historically speaking, these two little tiny things happen, Brother Samuel, that are called the world wars, okay? And these world wars showed us that, yes, science can bring us advancement, and I'm so thankful for air conditioning, but science can also bring massive destruction. So just by saying science alone is going to solve all our problems, the world wars show that when humans progress to such a high level, we are capable of some very destructive things. Science can bring just as many problems as solutions. Somebody hold up your cell phone. And there are even people today that would still say the same thing. Even though we look at our past, they would say, well, We've evolved and progressed better than the World War generations. We, now we could actually create that society if we could just get rid of religion. But there's a few other claims. So not only, you know, would you say that God's imposing things on you, right? That's one idea. But then the other idea is, okay, so we're just trying to figure out how did we get to how we are. There's this idea of, of nature versus nurture, okay? And those are Some groups would say it's one or the other. Some groups would say it's both. But nature would say that's just how you are. It's your nature. It's just how you were born. You are a terrible thief. Well, it's just the way you were born. But the other side would be nurture. It's your environment. It's how you were raised. Now, to some degree, those ideas can benefit us. We can see how you could look at your life and see how where you were raised, your parents, different things that raised you, so to speak. We can look at those things and glean and and actually learn some things from those ideas. However, 
those ideas are just trying to say that we are merely animals. Because there's not something within us, there's not a God out there directing us, it's just animal instinct that's within us. It's the environment that makes you the way that you are. So let's remember that psychology is wondering why we do the things that we do. So if we are rational, if we use reason and logic, if we're rational beings, wait a second, is that actually even true? Because not everybody always acts reasonable and logical. I mean, if we were to take a second and just think, how many answers could we come up with where we could say, yeah, that's not rational at all? I mean, well, drunk driving, smoking, eating fast food every day. I love Chick-fil-A, but okay, if you do that every day, it's not going to be good for you. People, although they are rational beings, they know normally, I think, hopefully. Well, we talked about this in philosophy. Not everybody knows how to think, but we have the ability to think. We have the ability to be logical and reasonable, but that doesn't mean that we act that way. So what I'm trying to say is just because we're reasonable, that doesn't mean reason is going to solve all of our problems. That's what I am trying to say. The rebuttal, the comeback might be, well, if people were acting more reasonable, then those things wouldn't be a problem. People wouldn't be smoking if they actually were acting reasonable. So reason is great. People just aren't using it. But then here's a question for you. If there is no God, the opposition are, you know, they're trying to tell us you should act reasonable. But if there is no God, Sister Bailey, my question is, why should we act reasonable? What's the point? But why not live the party scene? If there's no God, why not just have as much fun as we can because it's all going to end anyways? Why live a life that's difficult and work hard? If we have suffering and pain, why go through that? Why not just live the party scene because that's more fun? And that leads into other questions and other things that we've either addressed or that we will address in the future. But here's what I'm trying to get to, okay? Here's what I'm trying to get to. We can say as humanity, not us in this room, but we can say as humanity that reason is going to save us because it's an attempt to appease guilt. It's an attempt to justify the actions that we want to commit. Now, I want to pause here and say that this is not just a problem for atheists, but this is an issue for Christians too. Why? Because I'm stepping into a biblical worldview here for a second, because sin is a reality. And if we try to say that we can solve our problems on our own, what is that an attempt at doing? Justifying our own actions and trying to appease that guilt that is within us, our guilty conscience. So what is wrong with us and how do we fix it? One of my courses, I mentioned a couple that I was in, but one that I was in was called Abnormal Psychology. Now, that's kind of an interesting title because then the question would be, what is abnormal? So my professor, she got up and she basically was saying, whatever does not conform to society or whatever society sees as abnormal, then it's abnormal. There's not really this objective idea. Well, why? We'll get to that in just a second. There were some good things about this class. I really learned about, you know, what drugs can actually do to the brain and different things. Because, you know, as a kid, you always grow up and you're like, yeah, drugs are bad. But then it was like actually learning what it does. And you're like, wow, drugs are bad. And so just learning about that kind of stuff. But then learning about the phobias and, and learning about the different disorders or even the abuse that can be done. Psychology can be helpful, okay? I'm not trying to say that we should be like anti-psychology. We just have to do it the right way. That's what I'm getting at. But I started to notice that a lot of these abnormalities 
was just some form of sin. Whether it was somebody that committed the sin or had sin unfortunately committed on them, a lot of these disorders or these abnormalities was just sinful behavior. And it just made me sad. Because whether you were talking about the drug abuse or you know, we were doing these studies on anorexia and anxiety and different issues regarding sexuality. And the solution, I started seeing this so much, Brother Hussey, the solution was, we'll just take this pill. I'm not trying to go all over the place, I promise. But when we look at these things in our world today, again, I'm not trying to say that medicine and certain medications are, are, are bad. I'm not, I, I've seen certain medications do wonders for people, but you get what I'm trying to say. It's like we have millions of people. The stats are astounding. Millions of people that are on some form of medication, and you're like, well, I think, again, I'm, I'm stepping back into my biblical worldview. There's something else that's wrong with you, but you can't fix it, but you're trying to find a solution, and it's not working, and so they have to find a solution elsewhere. So take this pill or, or just accept, and, and my God, I remember I was in a different psychology class, and this was in, I'm trying to remember if this was the spring of 2015 or if it was in the previous fall, but I remember a different professor, she was showing a video of this three-year-old kid that wanted to be a different gender. I remember thinking, man, in the public right now, the homosexual issue is the biggest thing right now. But I bet shortly this is going to be the biggest thing. And how many years did it take before that truly was the case? It's like we don't even talk about the homosexual issue anymore. It's the transgender issue now is massive. So just accept the issue. Just, you know, it's not a problem. Just accept it. It's not God imposing things on you. It's not the superego. It's not the moral compass. Just accept it. It'll make you feel better. The same professor, this abnormal psychology professor, she had, I remember one comment, she was so embarrassed that homosexuality used to be in what the DSM, I think it was the DSM-3, but the DSM is, is one of two of the, the major psychological Bibles where people go through and they look at all of the descriptions of all these disorders, there's definitions and all these things, and homosexuality was in there for many decades until the 70s when it was removed, so just accept it. It's not a psychological disorder, it's now just a preference. They were born that way. Or it's their upbringing, it's their preference, it's whatever they want. You see how that, you know, it's kind of two camps there. But what I'm trying to say is just accept it, give into it, it will make you feel better. Whatever the problem is, it's not actually a problem because there's no God. So we're driven by what is in us and around us. Okay, what does that mean? There's no sin, there's no temptation, there's no devil. There's no rules from God. And in fact, if we keep going down this road of this nature versus nurture and all this kind of thing, guess what else there actually is? No free will because you're hardwired in a certain way. It's just your upbringing or your DNA. It's your animal instinct. They can't help it. That's just the way they are. And you know what the next step of that is? You're not guilty of anything. Because how can you be guilty of something if that's just the way that you are? I remember as an IBC student, Brother Mooney coming in, and just spending an entire class period talking about a very popular song that had come out. And yes, I know this was a long time ago. But the song was born this way. And Brother Mooney spent a whole class period just talking about that song. Because this woman with different sexual preferences claimed that she was just born that way. And what a banner song. Let's rally together. 
And the idea is that, well, humans, you know, we're basically good. It's society that has these standards that imposes on people. So let's just accept more and more things because, you know, if you accept something, it ceases to be abnormal. Because, you know, all these issues of the transgender issues, those are ceasing to be called disorders in certain areas. So just accept it. Then it ceases to be abnormal. And then you'll feel better because society isn't pulling you down. Because what cannot be said? Now, again, remember I said some of those abnormal things, they're helpful to learn about. They can help people, right? Those different elements. But a lot of the things I was seeing, you could just change abnormal to what? Evil or sin. But you can't say that from a secular standpoint. Why? Because if there is something evil, there must be something good. And if there is something good, then you might need to change your behavior. And who wants to do that? Where does good come from? Where does evil come from? If there's no God, let's just make a theory. So just take a pill, accept the issues, but what we will come to find out is that the consequences will always be there. And what is so scary to me is that it seems that the consequences are attaching themselves to younger people, younger and younger and younger. You guys know what I mean, right? It's like there are things that you and I learned or we knew things about the world when we were older and now it's like kids are learning and experiencing these things and the evil that is in the world because the consequences do not go away. And I'm not here to preach all these terrible things and I had a, even a couple examples but I, we know, we know. So what's the deal here? Well psychology is supposed to be a study of the soul but the soul has been replaced with the self because it's not about the inner problem or it's not about the inner issues. It's now just become what makes you feel good. What's the physical issue here? It ceased to look at the spiritual need. So how can Christians approach psychology? I would say at least two good starting points or step one and step two would be that God created humans in his own image. You're not an animal. You're not just going off on animal instinct, but you are created in his image And that means, well, let's look at Genesis 2-7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So it's not just your body. I think Sister Hussey spoke on that before. It's, It's not just our body, but we have a spiritual side to us as well. And what else does Genesis say? Genesis tells us that he created us in his image, in his likeness. You are like God In many ways, God's a loving God. God's a creative God. God is a just God. We long for those things. We long for justice. We love our families. We love people. We are created to be holy. We are made to be like him in his likeness. And that's where we would go back to Romans 12. We're supposed to present our bodies to God. Why? Because that's why we were created, to live our lives in worship, to be like him, to walk and take dominion on this earth. Dominion simply means there just to represent God to the world. We're to rule the world on God's behalf. That's what taking dominion means. And be not conformed to this world, but you have to be transformed. How? Through the renewing of your And that's where psychology can be helpful. 
if it's done the right way. Not that psychology transforms your mind necessarily, but it's the work of the Spirit in our minds. Put on the helmet of salvation. You can't live righteously if you're not thinking righteously. So we look at these tools, we can look at these worldviews, and, and we're trying to understand how can I as a Christian navigate this world? Jesus even said, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both the soul and the body. So when we've sinned and we've rebelled against the Lord, we know it. Why? How? Because you're going against the way that, or even the reason of which God created you. But you have to deal with the sin issue. So again, psychology from a Christian worldview. God created us in his image, but the second step would be this. Sin has brought chaos. Sin has brought, you know, in the garden, three things happened, right? When Adam sinned. Chaos came into the relationship between God and humans. Chaos came in between the relationship between Adam and Eve, meaning human to human. But then chaos came where else? Inside of us. If we don't have those first two steps, if we deny the sin problem, if you get the problem wrong, you will always get the solution wrong, or at least it's unlikely. So how do people deal with the sin issue? There's a couple ways. I'll narrow it down to three. You can run from it, meaning you can justify your sin. You can attempt to ignore it. You can justify it by saying, well, it's not really a problem. I don't want to repent about this. That's when we lie to ourselves. The second one would be shame. Well, what what does shame do? When we sin and we have shame in our hearts, what does that do? That's actually an attempt to fix the sin problem yourself because you know you're guilty of punishment, so you try to punish yourself. There's a lot of ways, and again, we don't need to go into these issues and we don't have time to go into them, but there's things that people do to themselves because they know they're guilty. But those first two options will never actually solve the inner problem. The only way, Sister Moretta, to actually deal with the sin issue is to let somebody else deal with it. And there's only one person that can do that. The only way to deal with the sin issue is to repent. And this is why earlier that I said, this is not just an atheist issue, because have you guys, now I'll be the first to raise my hand, have you guys ever come into a church service knowing that you weren't right and it was hard to raise your hands? And whatever you do next is either going to harden your heart away from the Lord or soften it more towards him. And that's why repentance is the only way to fix it. I'm almost done. I wanted to share this. This is a story, some of the CCS students will remember this, but this is a story from a philosopher, a scholar named Jay Budajewski. Nobody actually knows what Jay stands for. I've even Googled it. It's just Jay, period. But he wrote in in a couple of his books, he shares his story. And I'm going to read, if it's okay, just a little bit of that. He says, you can't imagine what a person has to do to himself. Well, if you're like I was, perhaps you can. To go on believing the sort of nonsense I believed to shut out all belief in the gospel. Paul said that the knowledge of God's existence is plain from what he has made, meaning that we can know God exists because of the world itself. Where did it come from? It's called natural revelation or general revelation. And Paul said that the knowledge of his laws are written on our hearts because our consciences also bear witness. He used to be a Christian and then he walked away from the Lord, and then he started going off on these, in these crazy directions. He says, that means, speaking of the conscience, that means that so long as we have minds, we can't not know these things. As long as you have a mind, it's impossible for you to not know that there is a God. Well, I was 
unusually determined not to know them. Therefore, I had to destroy my mind. For example, I loved my wife and children, but I was determined to regard this love as merely subjective preference, just like animal instinct, moving chemicals in your brain. That love does not actually mean anything. And this is the part that really gets me. Visualize a man opening up the access panels of his mind and pulling out all of the components that have God's image stamped on them. The problem is, is that they all have God's image stamped on them. So the man can never stop. No matter how much he pulls out, there is still more to pull. I was that man. He said, how then did God bring me back? I came over time to feel a greater and greater horror about myself. An overpowering sense that my condition was terribly wrong. Finally, it occurred to me to wonder why should I feel horror if humans have made it up? Meaning, if there is no God, why do I feel this way? If there is no God, why do I feel horror? Because it, sin is just a human invention. So why do I actually feel this way in my conscience, in my heart? I had to admit that there was a difference between the wonderful and the horrible after all. And that meant that there had to exist a wonderful, of which the horrible was just the absence. And so my walls of self-deception collapsed. Why did he feel so much horror if there's no good God? But there is a good God. And when we're distanced from him, the only thing that is left is horror. We cannot escape the horror because sin brings its own consequences. You know, consequences just naturally come from sin. But I read something that says humans are like arrows. We're directed at a goal, but we can't get there on our own. God made us a certain way to be a certain thing, but we cannot even be what we long to be without the working of the Spirit. So justifying sin doesn't work. Neither will the shame that we inflict on ourselves because we're not guilty of a punishment. But that punishment was already given. And the verse that hit my mind and my heart, Brother Grant, was that he, if we confess... If we confess, which that requires humility, that requires, you know, in the Greek, that word confess means to say the same thing as, which means if God says something about sin, then I better agree with it. Because repentance is more than just words. We know this, right? I'm, now I'm saying things we all know very well. Repentance is not just words, but repentance is that mindset, that renewing of the mind that says, God, I know what's right and I'm conforming to your will. If we confess, we say the same thing that God says about sin. If we confess, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sin. I just have one more thought. This is how I'll end it. Because I just was thinking, Sister Jayla, Okay, I can see what it means by saying that God is faithful, right? He said he would forgive us, and he will forgive us over and over and over. God will never turn away a truly repentant heart. So I understand the faithful element of that, right? Like God is faithful. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. But how is God just? Because that's like a legal term. That's like, you know, referencing the law. How is God 
okay, I understand he's faithful, but what does it mean when it says he's just? Because the law of God says the wages of sin is death and blood had to cover sin. There had to be atonement that was made. And ladies and gentlemen, the reason he's just is because there was death and blood was set to cover. So the punishment that was put on Jesus, it fulfilled the law. So when we come before him, he's gonna be faithful and he's going to be just because he's going to follow what he said he would do. He will follow the steps of the law. He will fulfill and accomplish the very things that he had laid out. He said, okay, I'm faithful and just. I, if you come before me, there's, there's been the penalties already been paid. So I'm going to be just because I'm going to follow what I said I would do. So psychology can be a good thing but we're never gonna change and we're never gonna feel peace if we don't deal with the sin issue. So I don't know if we have things in our hearts that we need God to help us with, or maybe we can just thank him for his faithfulness and his justice, but I'm done. And if maybe we can just raise our hands right here and then I'll ask Brother Hussey just to come and pray in closing, but let's just thank God that, Lord, we give you glory today, that we don't have to wallow in despair, and we definitely don't have to be in horror, but it says that we have to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. That requires submission, and that requires humility. That requires us to be a servant, and that requires us to say some things about ourselves. God, I'm sinful you've paid it all our God is higher God you are higher than any other our God is greater awesome and mighty he's greater we don't have to live in shame we don't have to live in pain that sin has caused I share that story about that professor because open up the recesses of your mind you're going to see God's image stamped all over it because you're his you are the jewel of his creation don't hide anything back in your heart from him be conformed to his word be conformed to his will because he wants you to be like him you're made in his image you're made in his likeness I'm sorry, I just can't get away from it. Can we just raise our hands and let's just all repent together, all of us together. Lord, I pray that you would move in my heart. God, I thank you for your grace and I thank you for your faithfulness to me. I pray that you would create within me a clean heart. I pray that you would touch my mind and my soul, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would soften my heart towards you, that I would love you with everything within me, my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength, everything holding nothing back from you. I pray that you would guide my life.